In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mike's, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina. I am your host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization, and I am joined once again with the erudite, <laughs> Father Lucas Rossi, who joins us after a two-week break. How are you, Father? Well, I'm happy to be back, erudite. I love, I always get excited for what adjective or noun you're going to use, but um, yes, I'm happy to be back with you, Shane, on this, this wonderful day. The weather, the Carolina beautiful. blue sky, it's, I'm just so, thank you, Jesus, this weather is so beautiful. It's finally not miserable. You know, this is totally irrelevant to the podcast, but it reminds me, you mentioned the weather. I had some friends of mine years ago from Washington State who visited us about this time of year when it was in the 70s, and they were just sweating profusely. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember they walked around my grandmother's house going, goodness gracious. You know, for them, it was a, a, a heat, heat wave. wave. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but for us, it's just, it's beautiful this yeah, time of year. I opened I the window it. this morning just... Thank you, God. I just love, I love the seasons. I do. We should love them all. And, you know, but it's just when the weather begins to change into the fall here in North Carolina, we get those four seasons. Um, it's just beautiful. So I look forward to this time of year when we really can just open the windows in the house and let in, sit outside at night and um, just, it's just beautiful. So thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful weather and uh, this beautiful month of September. We've, you know, been jam-packed with Marian feasts since the middle of August. Talk about Marian in a minute. Middle of August all the way to today, so. Yeah. Well, before we get into some of the topics then, uh, let's let's emphasize once again and maybe discuss this major feast day, uh, our patron saint's feast day, oh, that, yes. the, that the parish we're going to commemorate on Sunday, September the 25th. Can yes. you give us, because there's a billboard now, it yes, says yes. save the day. We have a banner out here. We do. Um, we have banners in the church. Uh, Give everybody a preview of why we're doing this and what to expect. Well, we, uh, we're St. Michael Catholic Church. We were established in 1903 by Abbot Leo Hayde, the first Benedictine abbot of Belmont Abbey, which is in Belmont, um, about uh, 15 minutes down the road. Um, so we've been a, a parish for over 100 years. And since our founding, you know, we have our patron saint, St. Michael the Archangel, um, which, of course, you know, we have the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, which was given to us by uh, Pope Leo XIII, I believe. Um, I'm not exact, surely, uh, exact on the date uh, of the year for that, but I think it was the late 1800s. Again, the prayer of St. Michael to defend us in battle, uh, be our protection against wickedness and snares of the devil, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we get that protection, uh, that image of St. Michael from Scripture itself, from the book of Revelation, uh, where the dragon and Michael uh, fight. And the dragon is cast down. Um, so with many, many parishes, most of them are named after a saint, have the have the patronage of a saint, of male or female saint. Um, ours, of course, is not a human person. It's an angel, an it's angelic an angel. being, a Saint Michael. So even though angels have shown themselves in human form, they're not human. Um, they don't have a body. They, they are invisible beings. They are extremely powerful beings. I've been told that, you know, an angel, one angel could have the power to destroy you know, humanity or whatever, because they're just powerful beings. Um, and so we look to our patron, St. Michael. Uh, why? Because, well, he's our protector, our defender uh, in heaven, specifically this parish bears his name. And, you know, St. Michael is the one who 
uh, his name Mikael means who is like God, right? Who is like God? So, so that's the, the, the great divine taunt, I think, as it were, to the devil who wanted to be God, you know, wanted to be the, you know, Lucifer, you know, decided to go at it alone and rebel against the Lord. Um, and, you know, Michael says, no, who is like God? You know, God is God, and, and we are not. As powerful and as beautiful and as amazing as the angels are, they are not God. Um, and they're created beings. Right. So this feast day, and uh, in, in listeners who are Catholic who really follow the liturgical calendar of the church will be saying right now, well, you know, that's on September 29th. So, yes, you're having a feast day. Well, then you see the banner say September 25th. So what's the deal? Well, I learned some years ago that as pastor to celebrate the patronal feast of your parish, the pastor has um, the ability and the the authority to uh, to celebrate a votive mass, meaning you know you can open the mass book up to that feast day and celebrate that mass on a different day, provided that the year is allowing that. So we're in the ordinary time, and so there's a lot of freedom to. Um, have different masses. So I just sort of said, look, at the end of September, the last Sunday of the month of September will be the day we celebrate our feast of St. Michael as a whole parish family because getting everyone's already here on Sunday. And instead of saying, hey, everybody, come on Tuesday this year or Wednesday or Thursday this year because the 29th of September, like anything, moves throughout the year on a different day, falls a different day of the week. And so, um, so I started this a few years ago. And it's really a, a time to allow ourselves to celebrate our, our patron, St. Michael, but to thank God for all of his goodness and all of his blessings and protection upon us in over 100 years and to really make sure that, that we can engage as a parish family truly celebrating our, our patron, St. Michael, um, you know, who loves us and who is always protecting us. We don't know what he's doing. We don't see a lot of what he's doing, but, but he's working, and, and certainly who's working here is the Holy Spirit. And uh, as we've, we've celebrated before, just so much newness, new beginnings here at St. Michael, so many new families joining since the pandemic, you know, in 2020. Uh, we've really thrived and become very fruitful as a parish on uh, those years during and following the pandemic. Um, you know, our youth group growing, the school enrollment uh, growing, you know, and uh, to to just be together as a parish family around the reality that we have a patron, St. Michael. Yeah. And um, it's it's really going to be a time to re-engage as a parish family to say, hey, this is a time for us to take ownership of the parish, meaning that this is our parish home, you know, that God has called us here to worship him in this parish, this place of Gastonia in this time, that every parish is, exists in a specific location, and there are families in that location who join themselves to that parish, you know, as, as members. Uh, we're joined to each other through baptism, yes, but the parish is, is really the central place, the central location where our faith is lived out. Everything that we need for salvation is in this location, this place. You know, yes, we're union with the bishop and the pope, but the reality is, is that we, everything we need for holiness to grow spiritually is here at the parish any Catholic parish. But it also ought to be a center of evangelization where we are going out into the world, inviting others. And as we saw last week in RCIA, we have you know almost a dozen people seeking Christ, seeking the church, seeking to know more about Catholicism. 
Um, so we're, we've been planning this feast day uh, celebration for some weeks now, and it's a, there's going to be um, you know tables set up for ministries to to just introduce. Uh, so many new families in the parish too don't really know what is available here to how to be engaged. And I know that you, Shane, and a team of parishioners and staff have been working hard to really give us a vision. You know, what is it that St. Michael's is doing? You know, what, what what's our brand, as it were? I guess we're a Catholic parish. Of course, what we do and what we celebrate is the faith, and we believe the catechism and the, the magisterium, so we, we get that. But I, I love what you've all prayed about and have come up with, and the, the faithful are going to hear this uh, many times, but St. Michael Catholic Parish is uh, the new vision, the motto, if you will, um, is uh, be invested, be transformed, be his. And it's so beautiful because every every soul can say, well, that speaks to me. I mean, that tells me what what the focus is at St. Michael, be invested, meaning Yes, we want to be invested with our lives, like the Apostles' great call. And that comes from giving of our time, talent, and treasure, you know, giving of our livelihood. Do we give in a way that shows I'm, I'm not just throwing something in the church basket, but I'm investing in Christ's mission to transform the world. I'm investing my heart and soul in this parish directly so that I can become transformed oh through what through the celebration of the sacraments through reconciliation through adoration through daily mass through bible studies through through the many ways in which we offer adult and child uh, education uh, to grow in faith so being transformed as the prophet ezekiel says i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put my spirit within you says the lord god desires to transform us into what saints and saints are those who belong to Christ. Be his. The final goal is be his. I love it. It's just so direct and specific and and every it speaks to everyone. It's like what's my first step? Be invested. Choose to be active and engaged in your parish, right? Be invested. Yeah, love your parish. And love your parish, you know, and sacrifice for it. Um, and then be transformed, right? If we if we allow what the apostles allowed, which is this first step was I'm willing to to give of possessions, give of time, to give my life, to lay down and give up things and possessions and you know money or whatever it might be, just to the level of what God's asking of us, to be invested so that I'm free to invest my life in Christ. And when I do that, I become transformed. And when I'm transformed, I belong to Christ. I, I you know, be, be invested, be transformed, be his. So very excited about this new motto that we have. It's already on the banner in the church um, and then a beautiful quote by St. Catherine Drexel, which you have up there, um, to press forward and fear nothing. Why is St. Catherine Drexel? Why is she important to St. Michael? Because in, 19, um, in 1900, July 11th, 1900, uh, St. Catherine Drexel gave um, a $1,500 donation to Abbot Leo Hayde um, to start a Catholic church in Gastonia, which he, the abbot wanted to do. The monks were entrusted by Rome to build up the Catholic faith in uh, North Carolina, in this area of the state. There were very few Catholics, and these German-speaking monks from Pennsylvania are entrusted with building up the church. And so um, the abbot had seen at the time that you know Gastonia is growing, and there's a lot of movement going on. But St. Catherine Drexel was uh, there to really... Uh, she's a missionary to the African-American and the Native American people 
in our country too. So she was very adamant to make sure that, you know, specifically in the South, that the the uh, black community would be in the church in that building, that there would be pews, right? So she was uh, that was a conditional donation. Um, which was very good because you see the church was moving with integration already uh, before it was even something that became a, a, a political desire in the in the mind of the nation. So St. Catherine Drexel's quote is is up there too. So I like that. It's just we're all we all go forward uh, with no fear. You know, don't fear what's happening in the world. Don't fear the turmoil in the church and in the world today. Press forward where towards Christ to be fully His. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'll, you know, someone could say, well. Shouldn't we? Couldn't you say be transformed and be invested? But I actually like the order there that you invest first, you commit first, yep. and then the transformation comes. One of my favorite theologians, um, Howard Thurman, he was the uh, an African American theologian in the '40s and '50s during the time of civil rights. But um, I'm paraphrasing him, but he says, you know, there's so much aliveness and energy in the world. You, we feel it all around us. And we have these great challenges in front of us as well. And how do you harness all of the aliveness of life? How do you harness it in your own nerve center, your own being? And he says, you invest, you commit. He says, once you commit to something hard. So in our case, I'm going to commit to be fully Jesus's and I'm, I'm investing in that. He says, suddenly uh, the energy with which to do it rises up to meet you. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I just okay. love that. I love that imagery of once I'm investing in something, that I'm going to invest in being fully Jesus Christ, and I'm going to go all in. Then the energy necessary to accomplish it rises up to meet us. But it has to start first with, I'm investing. It's the grace of God. I mean, I think yes, that that's... Yes, of course. You yes. Know, that, but that's that's what rises to meet us in the sense of, but we have to, we have to make the choice. We like, do. Like, you know... You have to. Your will has to say, "I want to make the sacrifice. I'm. I'm going to choose to really look at what how I give to the church in a serious way, in a committed way. Um, I, I want to make a change. Yeah. You know, I want to make an increase. Yeah. Um, and I want it to come from trust, Lord, because times are tough for everyone. Inflation is bad and it's getting worse and I mean, who knows where it's headed. But there's the never church, been the a church, good time the, to follow Jesus, though. You know? No, there, no. But there's never there's you know, we wait for the ideal time when it's easy, and and, and Jesus smashes that all yes. the time. Says, you know what? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to lose relationships and family. You're going to be divided. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to you'll lose your possessions. If you if you're not, you'll lose me. You know, just mm-hmm. so Jesus is always showing us that you know there's no ideal time in the sense of when it's all when the world is put together and safe and easy and it's a smooth sailing. So now I can get serious about my relationship with Christ. No, the answer is you have to be serious about it now because nobody knows how much time we have. Nobody has a guarantee. This might be our last year. Yeah. And Christ comes and judges the world and, and the time is over. You know, this might be our last St. Michael feast day. I don't know, you know, so, uh, but so it just means be invested, get on board, follow him, you know, be a disciple in the, in the be invested piece is the intentionality that's inquire, uh, required of each of us. And we take it for granted. I think we figure we just sort of sneak in a pew in the back and, you know, I'm going to mass every Sunday. It doesn't matter where I go. You know, I, I go where I like to go. And, you know, there's something to that. But the reality is, is, you know, are you an intentional disciple, you know, and the, the intentionality manifests itself in your parish. And, you know, we kind of live in a time where it's easy for Catholics to kind of be anonymous and they hop around to parish to parish or they follow a priest that they like or, you know, it's their liturgy of choice, you know. Um, and, and uh, yes, preaching and the liturgy and the holiness of the 
space and the sacredness of art and decor. Like, and those are all really important um, elements. They really, really are. You know, but in the end, you know, if your parish is is lacking or lagging or you know, one wishes this or that were there, it's like, well, our number one, are, what are you doing about it? What are you investing in the parish? You know, and it says, well, there's not a whole lot of education. Wish the father would catechize more. So, well, then, why don't you volunteer to do a catechetical program for the adults in the parish? Or because we don't have a lot of youth ministry at our parish, then do you want to invest in volunteering the time to create youth ministry at your parish? I mean, you know, it's like, well, so there's something to make a change. Look in the mirror, because the answer is, you're going to have to be part of that change. You know, in the end. Um, how do you know that God isn't asking you? And it's funny because here we go with Catherine Drexel again, who went to the Pope, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, right. and said, "Holy Father, Pope, you know, please send missionaries to the United States to care for these African American and Native American uh, young people, children. You know, families are they're all marginalized. You know, and and they're they're crying out for." you know, uh, for love, for education, for the faith. And he just looked right at her and says, why don't you, you do be that it. missionary? And that cut her to the heart. She went away in tears. You know, she went away. That was not the answer she was looking for. But the Holy Father spoke. The Holy Spirit pierced her heart. And she did just that. And she inherited $500 million from her father, who was a uh, famous banker back in those in those days in Philadelphia. The Drexel Bank, and she was an heiress of hundreds of millions of dollars and gave it all away to build up the kingdom. And she became a missionary, founded the Sisters of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, she just realized that she was called. Because she saw the need. I totally agree with that. And I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts that if you notice something in your parish that you want and, and it's lacking, it could very well be the case that the Lord has called you uh, to make it possible and right. to create it. And I love your image of we, we have to, you know, create the change ourselves in the mirror. Isn't mm-hmm. that Michael Jackson? It is. <laughs> I love that you're dropping Michael oh, Jackson yeah, on the yeah. podcast. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm asking him to, <laughs> to make a change. But it does start Now with all us. the young people are like, who's that? Well, be careful. Oh, that's you, a great song. Be careful when you look into Michael Jackson. But, you know, the reality is, is that his, his stuff in the in the early 80s, um, you know, nothing like it. I mean, he Oh, yeah, he, he was, was amazing. He, he, I remember music. when 1984 rolled around and Thriller came out. Yeah. But I, before we go, this, this is great. Before we go on, though, a little bit of trivia. Like, why? Because I did not know this. At one time, why do we call an angel a saint? You right. would think, we would think that saints are you know, people, us, but we call angels saints. Why is this trivia? Do you know the answer to that? Because I I looked this up. Well, why don't you just give okay? An yes, I'll be glad to do that. It's because um, angels, as you said, are creatures. Mm-hmm. We are creatures. They uh, occupy the realms of heaven, and only saints can occupy the realms of heaven. If you're a created yep. being in heaven, you are a saint, yes. whether you are uh, human or whether you're angelic. So the reason we call them St. Michael, uh, St. Raphael, and others is because we know their names. So we have okay. the name of St. Michael. So if there was a uh, an angel called, I'm just going to come up with the name, St. Um, Florence. Mm-hmm. Well, if there were an angel named Florence yeah. in the scriptures, we would say it's St. Florence because mm-hmm. only saints can dwell in heaven 
if they're beings. Yeah. And there's the answer. What do you think of that? I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did that because I, you know, I was going to say, you know, they're holy, meaning they're that's they're, right. They're, they're holy thing. for their closest to the Lord. Their their relationship with the Lord is is pure holiness. Um, and we, this is a good point to talk about the angels here briefly. That they still have free will, and I think it's important to 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 remember that the angels had a moment in their ex, in their created existence where they were met with a choice. Just as Adam and Eve was met with, uh, were met with a choice in the Garden of Eden to serve the Lord and follow His, you know, follow His uh, command to refrain from eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, the angels had a moment to choose. But their choice was 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 a fixed moment, meaning it determined their entire existence right. from because that point on. Because their spiritual intelligences, they could fully superior. know, whereas we can't fully know yeah. by the limitation of our flesh. So we get we get that choice many 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 times right. a day, right? But they got the same opportunity to serve the Lord, right? So clearly, the the evil one, Lucifer, the devil, and the uh, you know they say a third of the stars in the sky in Revelation. So we we assume that means a third of the angels rebelled with him. Um, but that the angels, the saint, the saints, uh, and the angels, there are three that we know. So it's important to recognize Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael or Raphael. Um, they are they are the known named archangels, um, and archangel comes well. Angel comes from the word messenger. Um, angel is what uh, their um, their spiritual beings is what they are. Angel denotes that they're messengers. So an angel carries a message. An archangel carries a sublime message. You know, Gabriel and Michael and uh, Raphael all intervened with uh, with words from the Lord, you know, or, or intervened on behalf of, excuse me, <laughs> intervened on behalf of God, you know, um, in the lives, the, the lives of others, you mm-hmm. know, so, um, so we, this is a good point too, because this is a little bit of a touchy subject for some people, but you, we're not, as far as I understand what the church teaches on this, we're not to be naming angels. So it's really important that we understand, people say, well, I name my guardian angel, my guardian angel's name is so, and so. Maybe that's been privately revealed on some level, and I wouldn't say, well, you don't know the name of your guardian angel, but remembering that the names of angels are revealed by God, and the ones that we know of are in Scripture, right? The three um, that we know of as archangels are Michael, Raphael, and, and Gabriel. So it's important that we don't uh, just start naming angels because that's actually we don't have even authority to do that. Because we have authority over the world, the earth, we can, you know, Adam named the animals, you know, the names. So we have to be careful that we don't, the reality is, is you have a guardian angel and your guardian angel is guardian angel, you know, and you you pray. No, no. I mean, you know, I think there's this pious thought that we should find the name and ask for the name, you know, and I don't, but I I think what the church teaches on that directly, you know, it's not, it's not, um, we, the guardian angel. Angel of God, you know, that's, we, we have an angel, you know. Um, so uh, just to kind of make a point on that, since we're talking about the names of angels, uh, the ones that we know in Scripture are Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Right, okay. and that's why we call them saints. Yeah, yeah, it's because you know their names. We yeah. know their yeah. names. If there so, were any other names, they would be Now, if God wants well. us to know names, he'll, he'll, I guess, reveal them to us. Well, know? and why did the angels rebel? According to uh, several of the saints' 
in the theo, theo, the in I cannot say it in uh, theological history. Um, God revealed to the to the angels how He would redeem creation by becoming flesh um, through a virgin, mm-hmm. and that and that virgin would become the queen of all the angels. And Lucifer and the other saints said, "No, I will not serve." So it was the woman according to many of the saints, that was a great scandal to the angels, and that's why they fell. The incarnation, right? Yeah, the incarnation through, and then uh, this woman being ranked above, becoming the queen of all of the angels, a a, a fleshly creature, a human creature, and that's why they fell, which is a good segue. Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Let's talk about (laughs) the Blessed Mother. Two things. Last week you weren't here. It was the birthday of the Blessed Mother. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was a it was the most uncanny thing. So you and I were having a conversation, and we can't be the only ones who thought about this in the parish. That on the same day mm-hmm. that we were celebrating the birth of a queen, we also mourned the world mourned the, the loss, the death of a queen, That's Queen right. Elizabeth. That's right. What, what is up with that? I mean, I I I, you know, there's no coincidences, you know, and I, I, you know, I mean, I think that. Hopefully for the queen, she spiritually in her heart, mind, body, and soul was uniting herself as much as possible to God before she passed away. Um, I think that uh, in uh, being um, the uh, Anglican realm of the the Church of England, uh, they believe in, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, So I think that they would feel the spiritual blessing of, of passing on a Marian feast day. And it was a Marian feast day for the Anglican church, the church of England that day. So they would have been having, uh, the worship and the prayers for the nativity of Mary. Uh, so yes, interesting enough that 70 years of the queenship of Elizabeth II, mm-hmm. um, we on the same day recognize that we have a queen whose queenship will never end, whose queenship was given directly by uh, Jesus himself, um, that she is the only true queen that there is if we look at it with the eyes of faith because Christ's kingship will never end. She is the queen mother, right? And so uh, on the birthday of Mary, you know, we mourn the loss of Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth II, 70 years. Um, an unbelievable uh, reign, as it were. Uh, but, uh, you know, if she has entered heavenly glory, she certainly knows now uh, who the, the who real, the real, real queen, queen is. is. I just I think about it. And it is, a, it is interesting to, I, I mean, I think that, I, I, I don't, I mean, I think our Lord worked through that to sort of, um, in a unique way, jar the attention of people to say, well, which queen should we be looking at, paying attention to? Mm. You know, and as we, in the world, you know, should mourn the loss of Queen Elizabeth II for a a very long period of of being queen, and uh, certainly um, uh, the United Kingdom in their own way has their affection for her. And the world watched her, you know, for those who are, you know, over 70 years old, you know, if they were 10 at the time she was uh, in her, at her uh, crowning, watching that ceremony, they could remember, they can remember that now. Um, but all those things end, right? I mean, all, all the reign of leadership, good or bad, will end. 
but not with our Lord and our Lady. And um, that, you know, I think that there's an interesting, um, trying to think of the right word, um, we are enamored or we are just sort of taken with royalty or world, worldly kingdoms and even why, why does the world look and turn its head when Queen Elizabeth II dies? Because there's something captivating, captivated is the word I'm looking for, by royalty, by this kind of reign, you know, and um, yeah, so uh, there is there is that. But to be captivated by, wow, look at the reign of God. Is he Lord of my life and his mother? You know, what's my relationship with her? Um, which is another segue into what today is about. Sure, which is the, uh, the seven sorrows uh, mm-hmm. of Mary, a week after the birthday of Mary and the day after the exaltation of the cross, which I think is fitting, isn't it? Uh, it is. For yesterday to be the exaltation of the cross, and of course, who stood with Jesus at the cross mm-hmm. but his mother. And so today we remember this feast. We remember her sorrows as well. Um, tell people about why it's significant that it's the standing Mother is mm-hmm. it in the Latin the the Sabat Mater Sabat yeah. Mater the one who stands because there are some people mm-hmm. and I know that we have some um, non-Catholic listeners they because they've reached out to me mm-hmm. they've told me this hello listeners um, what is significant about the standing mother in theological history well just uh, a real quick summary you know today is September fifteenth the feast or the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows um, so. Literally 30 days ago, on August 15th, we had the Assumption of Mary, body and soul in heaven. So look at this. We've got 30 days to the day. We've had several Marian feast days, several signposts, several moments, um, which I think, other than the Immaculate Conception in December, which we celebrate December 8th, you look from August 15th to September 15th, and there's a lot of things the Church is teaching us about Our Lady with all these these different memorials. Um, but today is Our Lady of Sorrows, a very short gospel passage today from the Gospel of John. Um, and it begins with, you know, standing by the cross, yeah. or standing near the cross of Jesus, where uh, his mother, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene, um, and the beloved disciple, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, and uh, when Jesus saw his mother, um, standing near, you know, he looked to, he, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, then turned to the beloved disciple and said, behold your mother. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, he took her into his home, it says, but that's not a good translation. He took her into really his own, meaning what was his own, his own life, like his, his interior life. Also, it doesn't say home in the original language. No, it's, it's really supposed to be, he took it into his, what was his own ah. So yes, he took her. Yeah, I mean, but the reality is, is that was is more than just yeah. I'll take care of you in my house. You know, it's I'm bringing you into my life. You know, everything, all my livelihood is now yours, mother. You're now my mother. You know, and so as I was saying in the homily today, that you know, when a man was crucified and condemned by Roman law in the Jewish um, mind, you know, a dying man, a convict, could make dying. Proclamations could make, I guess, a kind of last, like a last will and testament. Yeah, last will and testament. Like before I die, hear what I'm going to give away: my possessions, my inheritance, my whatever was mine is now yours. And we look to Christ on the cross, totally poor, 
you know, Christ had no money, Christ had no home, Christ had no land, Christ had no property. He had no clothing. The soldiers stripped that from him. Uh, and he gave, what did he? What does he give? In his dying breath, you know, his mother. The only thing in that moment he could call his own. Yeah, and so remember that this, is, this, isn't, this isn't just a nice, that's really sweet of Jesus to do that. I mean, it is amazing, yes, and it's from profound love for us that he does this, but it was a, it was a legal thing. Like John became her son, and he became, she became his mother. You know, um, it, was, it was like this was a legal act. He literally just gave away his mother to John, the beloved disciple, um, but remembering that, you know, John doesn't stand there alone on his own because he is a disciple. He's a disciple. So he's following Jesus with the other disciples, with the other apostles. So there's our communion, a communion with Christ in a community that Christ has established. The church is there in its infancy. But the reality, the point being is that it's not just John has Mary as his mother, but spiritually, Mary is now the mother of all of humanity because John stands there on behalf of the disciples, the community following Christ. So they're all, they're all represented by John. And so John is a member of that community, so he receives Mary on behalf of the community of the, the apostles, the disciples following Jesus at that time, but then, but then the whole church, you know, and then really all of humanity uh, is being offered the mother of Jesus. Yeah, I, and, I, and I want to maybe emphasize that uh, in, in a couple of minutes, that that's just so profound that Jesus wants us to accept Mary as his mother. And I try to say that to my Protestant brothers and sisters. I said that when I was a, a Protestant. I also think, you know, John's gospel is so, uh, the allusions to Genesis just right. pervade that gospel. Sure. And, you know, he begins with, in the beginning was the word. Yep. And now we're at the, the, the scene of his crucifixion that John had to have had in the back of his mind, and uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the tree of life. Um, here we have the new Adam and the new Eve. And it would be fitting for Jesus to give us Mary as our mother um, because what John is getting at and what Jesus is doing, he's creating a new genealogy where our head is no longer the old Adam, it's the new Adam. And that we would have now a new mother of, of, of the living, not the old Eve, the virgin who sinned, but now the new Eve, the woman who was without sin. And so we are being kind of grafted into a new family tree. Yes. And the tree is the cross. That's right. The family tree is the cross. And so it's an undoing of the, the old family, our old you know, titular head, as they say. And now we have a new head who's Adam because... You know, even the Jews understood Adam as being the head and we're the body. Mm -hmm. And if the head has been impaired, we, we know that the body's impaired. You know, if I have a head injury, I can't maybe use my arms as well. And so Adam's injury, who's our head, has impaired the whole human race. Now we have the new head who was without sin and we're grafted onto this new body. Yeah. I think there's something going there. So of course Mary would need to become our new mother of the living in right. this moment. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. I mean, we need someone to stand in for Eve. That's right, yeah, so this, Mary, is, this is it. Mary's this is the, the moment. new Eve, and you know, Eve's, Eve was woman. That's right, know, um, and she, Mary is called woman in, so, in John's gospel, yeah. And then this is something to keep in proper context to all our listeners. You know, whenever Jesus says woman, it's never disrespectful. It's not this, you know, woman, you know, go get my slippers or, you know, 
do the dishes or, you know, kind of like this, this male dismissive, yeah, dominating, you know, um, disrespectful comment. No, I mean, when he says woman, it, it shocks Mary, though, because you, I mean, you don't speak to your mother like you, you know, I mean, don't just say woman to mother, but in the context of salvation history to say woman, we hear woman in Genesis. Mm hmm. And we understand that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The offspring will do that, mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. which he's literally about to drop his foot as he drops his last breath on that cross on the head of that serpent, the devil. Mm -hmm. So his end is very, very near. Um, but the giving of Our Lady there to John, to the beloved disciple, though, it's so important that we see that, you know, it's this isn't just a legal transaction that there already are followers of the Lord, you know, and our Lord's desire um, is to give his mother to humanity because his mother gave Jesus humanity. So Jesus is offering his humanity to the Father on the cross. How can he die? How can he suffer? Because he's human. He needed a body to suffer and to die, and the only one who gave him that humanity was Mary so now Jesus offers his humanity to the Father, but also the humanity of having a human mother. He offers that up. So everything of Jesus' life, of his mate, is totally offered. And you say, well, how can she be the mother of everyone? Well, Jesus died for all of humanity. And he took on humanity to save all of humanity. So if he gives his human mother, it's to all humanity. He's giving all of it up for all time of all people of the one true sacrifice on the cross is Christ, you know, so, you know, that I know it's difficult for Protestants to see this, but we have to really sit with this that, you know, it's, it's really clear if you love somebody and they are on their deathbed dying and they look at you and they say some things to you, you're, go, you know, what are you going to do about that? You know, I mean, like my mother or my father, so-and-so is dying and they say, I want you to, I'm leaving you my whatever mm -hmm. i give you my estate i give you my whatever you know um their dying wish you know like everyone would take that to heart you know the last thing the person i love the most dying said these words to me what is jesus saying because after this if we read john's gospel clearly i think right after this is it is finished that's that is it's right. consummated it's it's, yeah, it's and that's it's been, that again goes back to genesis yeah when god created everything uh, it saw that it was good he had finished oh yeah i love that he had finished his there. work so jesus now is the new now creation, the new creation yeah. is coming into be through him so um what is jesus saying to each of us brothers and sisters who are listening now behold your mother you know that what what did you say jesus before you died behold your mother well, so that's that that's the impact of okay and then he breathes his last okay so that was the last thing he said so to everyone you know well i i just i just love not only um uh, that but we are we are in relation to mary just by virtue of the eucharist mm -hmm. you know i mean from whom did he receive his body Right. You know, from whom did he receive his blood? He, re he received his body and his blood from Mary. From, from Mary. Yeah. So by default, we are in a relationship with her. Not, it's indirectly, you know, but it's nevertheless still through him. And it's also by virtue of what you just said. If you really search the scriptures, the New Testament, everything that belonged to Jesus, he gives to us. Mm -hmm. You know, his mercy is ours. His love is ours. 
his fellowship with the poor, his fellowship with the disciples. They become our brothers and sisters. He, gave, he gives us the fullness of his father and also his mother. Mm-hmm. Whatever belonged to him is now ours. And if I could play a little scriptural. Uh, well, to, to, to point on that real quick is the, the Our Father, right? So you said Jesus gives us everything. So we said we can hear the Our Father. We can hear him say Our it's Father. Our I'm, Father. And so therefore... I, my mother is your mother, so it connects very well to say, well, of course, Jesus gave us his, a relationship with his father. We can only have that through the son, yep. and we can only have a relationship with his mother through the son. Well, and, and, of course, in, in Paul makes this very clear that we are we are all kind of adopted as new sons and daughters of God the Father. We share in the sonship of Jesus, the filial relationship that we have now with God the Father. Well, if we're all going to share in the sonship of Jesus, yes, he was son of the Father— God, the, but he was also the son of Mary. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all just comes together cohesively. It it's beautiful. And God doesn't come to establish a single parent home. That's right. I no. mean, it's just, I, I, it's beautiful. And there's one thing that I remember. I was praying the rosary, and there's a couple of things I want to point out. These are some of my random thoughts. I was praising, praying the rosary once, and I was reflecting on Jesus when he said, I will not leave you orphans. I'm coming oh, to you. Yeah. So that's in John 14 or 15. I can't remember which one it is. But I've always understood that as, well, I'm not going to leave you by yourselves. I will return or you will be with me in, in heaven. I don't know. And I've never really done the research on this because if that's John 14, what we see in the final, uh, these final chapters, John 19 and John 20, notice what happens. He says, I will not leave you orphans. What's an orphan? Someone without a mother and a father. Mm-hmm. That's really just the oh, basic absolutely. answer. But in John 19 at the cross, what does he give us? His mother. In John chapter 20, if you read it, after he's raised from the dead, he tells Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples that I'm going to my father and to your father. So what's interesting, I will not leave you orphans. He gives us a mother in John chapter 19. He gives us the father in John chapter 20, thereby fulfilling his promise not to leave us orphans. We have been given a mother and a father. Absolutely. No, I mean, you're you're right on about that. Absolutely. I've never seen anybody read that. I think there's a connection there. You might be able to make a doctorate out of that. I think, you know, (laughs) go ahead. It's, It's beautiful, but it's true because our first parents fell. So you gotta have... The parental establishment right. in the Father in heaven and the the Queen of Heaven on earth, Mary, our mother. You know, so, and it's all relationship. You have to look at Genesis, and it's not just about arbitrarily coming to take away our sins and wash away our sins. Jesus came to yes, He did that, but family. it's all it's all back to the woman in the garden. The woman in the garden, she listened to the devil. She fell with Adam at her side. The parents fell together. She gave us the bad fruit that led right. to death. She, Mary gives us the fruit of her womb. Exactly, Jesus. Right. So we it's eat not, that, we, yeah, we, and we Mary's not just, you know, a role. She fulfilled a role. She's like the male, the male carrier. She, you know, dropped off the package of the incarnate God and then she just goes away. And that's, that's right. it's never that way because she's, it's a relationship established from the beginning, right? And it's all in the Old Testament looking carefully at it. Um, she's the queen mother and that didn't stop at Jesus's birth, it it was fulfilled, and yes, she's queen of heaven. Why? Because she gave birth to the king. And what do you call the one who gives birth to the king? The queen. Well, mother. Paul himself says. See, I love trying to make the connections to Paul. He says, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. Now that's Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul also uses the language of, "There's a crown laid up for me." 
You know that. There's a crown. I want a crown. But then in another letter, if we suffer with him, we will also reign like kings and queens with him. Well, who suffered greater? Who, nobody suffered more mm-hmm. for Jesus than his mother. And I love and saying, so you can yeah. make that connection. To, yes, she suffered with him and is actually suffering with him at the cross. Yeah. So, yes, she should reign with him as oh, yeah. queen. Well, and, and Bernard of Clairvaux makes a beautiful statement that, you know, um, when they threw the lance in the side of Jesus, remember, we missed this. He was already dead. He was already dead. Remember, they threw the lance to check yes. if he was dead, and he was dead. So that lance, Mary, is right there. And any parent, you know, I mean, how, your, her son just suffocated to death after a torturous, <laughs> brutal crucifixion, and she watched every drop of blood and every tear in his eye and you know she just stood there and just endured the agony of it all and saint bernard says that that spear that went the side of jesus was the sword that pierced her heart she received her spiritual martyrdom at that moment you know she she died as it were in her heart in the sense of uh she took that last act of cruelty was for her because jesus was dead so he didn't experience that in the way he was experiencing crucifixion early on. But Mary receives that, and that goes back to Simeon's prophecy in the Gospel of Luke. A sword will, will pierce, pierce your heart, heart There were two piercings then. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that, that was the moment at the cross when Mary's heart's pierced. So that's why today we call her Our Lady of Sorrows, that the agony of the cross, the sorrows of the cross, that she, and think of this, that Jesus did not, how could any son want his mother to, to watch that torturous agony? And why not spare her of all of this? Oh, my goodness. You know, but she wasn't spared of it. Nor and did I she think, try to stop this. No. And I think that for for we who experience tremendous suffering in our lives, and we always question God and this, and the Scriptures do the same. I mean, what's Jesus going to do about this? He's going to give you his mother. And we don't understand what that means, but he sends us his mother not at the time at the wedding of Cana when everything was exciting and wonderful that he give Jesus that he give Mary away as our mother, but at the cross when he was suffocating, you know, his lungs filling up with fluid and mm-hmm. blood and sweat and it's, the nails and his flesh is tearing and torn all over. That's when he does it at the like the worst moment of life in the sense when our sorrows are are, are literally ripping our hearts open and quaking our souls. That's that moment when we receive Mary. Yeah. He sends his mother to us. And so she comes to us in sorrow with our sorrows, right? So Mary is suffering with her son, joins herself to the suffering of her son. Mary does that. Now she's uh, she's willing to join herself to our sufferings if we will permit her. She won't do anything without our permission, right? It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to, you know, go to her with our sorrows, you know, saying, no, my life is, maybe, maybe people listening now, their life is, is just totally wrecked. Um, and the, and the, all I know is sorrow and the violence of the sorrow in my life. Well, there's a place, right, where at the foot of the cross, be there with her and Jesus in that sorrow. Well, yeah, Thomas Aquinas in his Summa, I remember I came across this many, uh, a few years ago. It's beautiful. He says that on the cross, Jesus suffered in all five of his senses. He suffered in his touch with the nails that pierced his flesh. He suffered in the, his ears by hearing the taunts and the, and the mocking from the crowds. He suffered in his taste by the, uh, the vinegar and the gall that he had to drink. He suffered in his uh, nostrils because of the smell of death that was all around him. 
And then he finally says, and he suffered in his eyes by having to look at his sorrowful mother weeping. Yeah. Wow. Boy, that's powerful. That is powerful. And, I mean, and she was huge. right there. And yet the standing mother, so that gets us back, the standing mother, she was not, as some medieval paintings show her, she was not swooning. She was not overreacting. She did not lose control. You see this woman in the, the extremities of sorrow, and yet she's standing. Mm-hmm. She is strong, and she is collaborating with the divine will in this moment as she did at the Annunciation. She knows that this has to happen. So we see her standing and consenting to the death of her son as a sacrifice for the salvation of the world. Yeah, so that's a good point. You really just make there that Mary makes the complete sacrifice of her life. Now she sort of, you know, quote, dies with her son on the cross because now she's giving up everything of herself to the divine plan. That's right. I'm going to let my heart be pierced and I'm going to let myself be joined in crucifixion with my son. Yeah. I, I, I'm opening my, my, my soul to f- feel like this is the thing is she wanted to feel everything that he was feeling on the cross. She didn't want to be apart from her son at all. So she's standing there, right? And the power of God working through her is, I love that. I mean, I've never thought about it at length until today just that she's standing she's standing she's you know she's she's not it's not it's not the stoic thing at all i mean she is but it's it's like how can you stand there mother right that's the that's the question yeah mother how can you stand there how can you stand this so how can you so let it be done to me according to thy word back to the annunciation there she is and she stands she's the one who can stand with us in faith and our sorrows and it's she stands so that we can collapse you know, that we can fall apart and, you know, I'm going to stand near you. I'm going to stand inside this suffering with you. And one of the worst images that we, we confuse about with God is, you know, when we suffer, we think God's up on a hill, he's doing fine, he's resurrected, and, you know, come on, just get through this and come up here and get over it. You know, I mean, God lowers himself into the 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 hollows of suffering of our lives like he's he has immersed himself in it and his mother does the same yes right the same and so i've always thought this at the gospel today that john stands there why is john standing there with where are the other apostles we hear we hear that they're gone there's no naming of them we get three marys and the beloved you know so i always thought well how could he just he was with Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, something about this young disciple just thought, I can't let her just stand there. You know, in the sense of like, you know, yeah. I'm going to, I, he feel, he must have been compelled to be near Mary. See, and so the reason why John stayed with Christ on the cross and was near the Savior was because he was near his mother. That's right. And, and as a result of that, could stand as she was standing with him, mm. you know, strength, grace under pressure, yep. the great sorrow. But I mean, and then maybe all the, maybe the ones that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Clopas, like we could say with all of them, we just say that the mother, that somehow that power of her, her standing there was giving them strength yes. to all of them stand there well, at think, the cross. I mean, I love trying to connect these things. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation to all who believe. The first person who was not ashamed of the gospel or the shame of the cross was Mary. All the other disciples, as you said, had left. Her son in that moment was a total failure, but yet yeah. she was standing with him. She was not ashamed of yeah. the gospel. And don't you think, Father, and for our listeners here, that the taunts that were being leveled at Jesus 
we're not also being leveled at her because just think about it on a, just a day-to-day basis. When someone is tried in a court of law um, and is, is guilty as a criminal, who do we blame? The parents. We blame yeah. the parents. Mm-hmm. You just know that there were people saying, you know, look at the kind of person you raised. Yeah. And that she was having to bear the same kinds of insults and injuries as the have. Lord. You and just know no that that's There's the no case. way that the, the Romans would have had any respect for her either. They, they were drunk and, yes. you know, ripping them apart. So, yeah, and even just the jeering. And we can actually we can actually say that there is that in John's gospel earlier, the Pharisees um, – you know they 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 throw a really bad jab at Jesus. Oh yes. Uh, remember they say to him, "At least we were not born of fornication. Yeah, at least we weren't born Ill- illegitimately like you." Wow. So they, yeah. Which I means mean, she was always surrounded by the rumor. She was all of her life. Yeah. So that was like I think that's the worst thing. One of the worst things I could have said to, to Jesus. And and what a what a what a, a knife in the heart that would have been for him to hear that about his mother, yeah. you know, and knowing that, no. Yeah. But, but yeah, the the jeering would have been there uh, to to think about it. And she would have, again, all the suffering, the five senses. But she suffering. never tried to stop it. And yeah. and that shows her standing. She was the, the ultimate collaborator in this moment with God's will as she was all of her life and in the Annunciation. But really, as, as our time ends, what I really see in this moment that I think about is when Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. There are scholars who will say, well, what Paul's actually saying there is that I am co-crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. What do we see here at the cross? We see Mary as the prototype of all discipleship in the New Testament. She is co-crucified in this moment with Jesus Hmm. and is suffering, as Paul says, all disciples should suffer. So I tell my Protestant brothers and sisters, look, don't be afraid of Mary. Um, She's not someone to, to, to shy away from. She's the prototype. She's the model of all discipleship. In the New Testament, we want Jesus to live in us, but we also have to be co-crucified with him. Mm -hmm. And she fulfills that here at the cross. It's really just remarkable. Well, any disciple, I think I've thought about this a lot in recent months, you know, that my brothers and sisters, we're all on the road to Calvary. Like, the reality is, is we're all headed there in one way or the other, right? I mean, why why wouldn't we be? That to be disciples means we're going to arrive at points where a particular point in our life, really, you know, before our death or whatever that, you know, there, there will be mo- uh, the moments as it were where our faith will be really challenged and we'll be invited into the fullness of being, quote, crucified with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're going to need our mother there just like he did. Right. Any, any God, the God would not leave us. God the Father would not leave us without a mother. Yeah. And, and, she's, uh, and she's the one. Just so much more um, that that was that wonderful. Boy, you beautiful insights. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but that's just that's just she enriches our following of Jesus. And if you think about it, if since the Mass is the representation of Calvary, every time we come to Mass in that moment at the Eucharistic table, Jesus is saying to us, "Behold your mother again." Mm-hmm. We are reliving that scene, and she is with us. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's wonderful. Great conversation. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, thank you, and thank you for listening. Uh, any questions? Please visit our website at stmccg.org. My email address is there. Shane, uh, Father's email address is there. We would love to take your questions. It may be some topic ideas that you might have, but do save the date. 
Sunday, September 25th, after the 9 o'clock Mass. Great celebration here on the and church campus. And great barbecue. And great barbecue. Yes, yeah, that's right. right. We yeah, have great barbecue. Yeah. So uh, on behalf of Father Rossi, I am Shane Page, your host. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless you.